Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked on Heat is an intelligent and entertaining daily podcast covering the Miami Heat and the NBA. Like I said, it's daily, five times a week. So subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, because we'll be there every morning waiting for you. You can email the show at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com, where you can send us questions for our weekly mailbag, inquire about advertising, or just say hi. And finally, we're asking you, the listener, to go on iTunes and leave us a rating, and even a review if you're feeling particularly generous. It helps. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Locked On Heat Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, editor at allyoucanheat.com. With me, as always, on the other line, esteemed NBA writer David Ramil. I've never been esteemed at anything, but I kind of like it. I, I really appreciate it. That's, that's, it. It makes me feel like I actually know what I'm talking about, so I always appreciate it. Thanks so much. You got it. I think a lot of people think you know what you're talking about, or else they wouldn't be listening. Or maybe they just laugh at us. I don't know. Maybe we're like Skip no. Bayless and Stephen A. and they just hate watch, hate listen to us. No, I doubt that. I think I think they they see our years of Heat fandom and our general expertise about the NBA, and I think that's why we're we're qualified to to speak on all things NBA related. I agree. So let's do that um, today. We're going to answer one question and one question only, and that is. Who is the most important player on the Miami Heat? It's a pretty large, open-ended question, but I think it's worth one worth discussing, right? Yeah, you know, with the team in flux, with Wade's departure, clearly he would have been the the logical answer. You know, had he resigned with the team, but with him moving on to Chicago, it's kind of time to look at the the roster that's left and, and figure out who's going to be the person to kind of take charge and lead this team into the next era of Heat basketball. So let's start right away. I think. The most interesting guy, well, first of all, what is most important, right? It's almost like the most valuable player award. It, it, there's a whole discussion to be had on what the sure. what it even means to say somebody is MVP or most important or whatever. But I'd like to start with Hassan Whiteside because I think even going back to last year when there were rumors about trading Whiteside at the trade deadline, right, after he was suspended for trying to take out Boban from the Spurs, and um, there are a little bit. There was rumors that the Heat weren't happy with him and his and his behavior, and that they may even be looking to trade him before the trade deadline. And I said it back then, and I feel I still think it's true now that Miami's ceiling rises with that of Hassan Whiteside. Meaning that even last year, if the Heat really wanted to try to make a run at what was considered an even what was considered back then an open Eastern Conference, right? The Cavaliers didn't sure. look. Like like they looked in the, in the NBA Finals, they didn't look like an eventual NBA champion at that time. That the conference the conference was wide open in the East, so why not run it through with Hassan Whiteside? Because this team can be as good as Hassan Whiteside is. He's such a dominating presence in the middle. If he can somehow find a way to make guys better around him, he can be even more of a dominating presence. He'll be more than just stuffing stat boxes. He'll be he'll be really contributing to the to the to the play of all five guys on the team or on the on the court at one time. 
So I still think that's true now. I think especially given the way that this new roster is constructed with Whiteside basically anchoring the middle of it, I would say that he's probably my first choice for most important player. If he can somehow get to a point where he makes guys better around him, he can really unlock a lot of interesting things for this team. Yeah, I could see him definitely being the person who who legitimizes this team as far as defensively. I think that'll be the biggest question mark. You you look at the the type of players that Pat Riley was able to bring back, you know, with the available cap space that Dwayne Wade's departure left and you know, those guys by and large I think are known as scorers at least you know, Derek Williams and, and, and Wayne Ellington, those guys, they can shoot, they can score. That's basically been their strong suit throughout their NBA careers. But it's getting them to, to probably play a little bit more uh, defensively minded than they have in the past. And I think that's with White's side, you look at what his presence is. Clearly, he's going to be the person who sets the tone. And, and, and that's not I think he's made some statements in that regard that he's not going to necessarily just be chasing blocks. He's not going to be, you know, just the empty stat guy that he's been in the past, more of a, a, a more functional defensive player, particularly on pick and roll, being that it's a staple in offenses around the league. We have to see an improved, an improved version of Whiteside as far as his ability to guard pick and roll situations. He's not, he needs to be able to pick up guys in the perimeter roll a little bit more effectively uh, and, and not be a liability in that regard. Not, his rim protection, unquestionably great. I mean, that's we've seen that in the past. He alters not just a few shots per game, but he alters several shots that are even aren't even taken as guys drive to the hoop. We saw Kyle Lowry, particularly in the playoffs, you know, the way he was go- getting to the hoop and then finding Whiteside there as a major obstacle, he would pull out or take a very bad contestant shot. And then once Whiteside got hurt, it seemed like Lowry all of a sudden had flicked a switch and became the kind of player that he's been in the past couple of years, the all-star level player that he's been. So, you know, I think Whiteside definitely has a, a big impact, particularly defensively. What about, well, first, I have two questions. N- number one, how do you think Wade and Wade's departure, right? Wade was a declining mm-hmm. defensive player. I don't think, sure. I don't think that's, that's, that's safe to say, right? And well, someone would argue with her. Yeah, and even the Waldang, who was a fine defensive player, not mm-hmm. really, didn't really perform up to his reputation. I mean, he's got a great reputation as a defender, but I even think Justice Winslow last year was a better perimeter defender than the Waldang sure. on a consistent basis. Sure. Maybe certainly more active. I think maybe a little bit more dis- uh, disruptive. Having right. Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow, pro- two of the most versatile defenders that the Heat had on the roster even last season, now they're starters. I do wonder how that helps Hassan Whiteside on defense now that. It's not going to necessarily be Whiteside covering up for maybe Dwayne Wade's slow step in defending a pick and roll, or or Luol Deng maybe maybe his slow step as well in his older age. I wonder if those guys are going to really help Whiteside, maybe allow Whiteside to not have to come up as much and play the mm-hmm. pick and roll. Where that if you were going to call if you were going to call out a deficiency for him on defense, that's certainly where it would be. Right, that's a good point. Actually, I mean, with their tighter perimeter defense. Should they be able to get past one or two initial defenders from outside and then they attempt either a mid-range shot, which is a poor quality shot, obviously, uh, you know, a, a low percentage shot. Or if they're, you know, getting to the rim as time expires on the shot clock, then they'll all of a sudden meet Whiteside or another interior player there to, to protect the paint. And that's that'll probably lead to a lower field goal percentage. So you're absolutely right in that this team 
could all of a sudden become much better defensively, despite you know their, whatever problems they might have scoring because we don't know exactly what Winslow is going to do offensively. We don't know if Richardson's going to be able to carry over his second half success. So there are question marks at least uh, you know as far as their ability to score, but defensively they should be significantly better. I'd say, and that's Not a, it's a really good Chris point. Bosch I think it's possibly good. returning. That's by sure, by yeah, four, yeah, uh, yeah. for sure. And, and that's actually, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, actually, I, I think. It's interesting that you went directly to Whiteside as far as being able to set the tone, but if, if my answer would have been obviously Chris Bosch, right? Because I think he's the person who could probably not just legitimize this team, but even take them to a whole other level because of his versatility, because of everything else. But that almost seems too obvious to, to just use Bosch, and plus we don't know exactly what his status is going to be. So it's interesting that you went directly to Whiteside as, as the key player for next season's success. Yeah, I think I was. I think I, was, I. I was thinking more in terms of guys that who we know are going to play. Sure. Because Bosch sure. becomes, and maybe that's how he is important. I was going to say Bosch becomes less important if he's not playing, but maybe he's more important because he's not playing. I guess maybe as as far as it impact negatively. But um, you you were talked a lot about Whiteside defensively. I, I I think even if he doesn't necessarily even get better defensively, he's still a guy that finished third place in defensive player of the year voting. And we can argue whether or not that was legitimate if it was just a bunch of voters around the country just looking at how many blocks per game he averaged and saying, okay, I'll give him third. But um, offensively, I think, is where he has a lot of room to grow. I think we see, like, good Hassan Whiteside offensive games. And he doesn't, despite being able to dunk and and shoot with an incredible efficiency around the rim, Mm -hmm. he's still not a very good post-up player. He... He he favors a mid-range game too much, based on what his averages are. Right. Like, and I I wrote a piece for All You Can Heat a while ago, basically saying how opponents bait Whiteside into shooting that because they know that he's cocky enough to just shoot it. Right. If he's left open at 15 feet, they're going to be like, we're going to take that so, over yeah. the seven-foot guy getting to the rim, and so they're going to shoot. They're going to let him shoot that. So every once in a while, it's it's almost fool's gold. If he makes that, and especially when Chris Bosh isn't playing and he's able to make that, a lot of Heat fans are like, oh, great. Like, he's hitting that mid-range shot. He's our big man that, that hits the mid-range game. So that almost makes up for the loss of Chris Bosh. But Chris Bosh shoots it at a highly effective rate, like a very good rate where you would say, no, Chris Bosh should be shooting a mid-range jumper, even though that's technically the least efficient shot in basketball, whereas Whiteside does it, and that's exa- like every once in a while he'll make it. Maybe every... Every two out of eight shots, I think, he'll make it. And that's just not very good. And, and yeah, maybe he makes it every once in a while, but that's not good enough to shoot it consistently. consistently. So I think if he can grow and maybe develop a couple of post moves or maybe get that sky hook that he kind of was playing with to go down consistently, I don't know, just something that he can go to, a bank shot maybe? I don't know. He does not have like a, a specific go-to move, right? He's not yeah. he's not Kareem with the sky hook or anybody else. He's he's he can do a lot of little things, okay, but nothing that he can go to. He like kind of just like, falls into made buckets, right? He's just so he's so big and so naturally close. Athletic to him. too. Yeah. It's just sometimes he just kind of gets shots to go in. Well, I've always found it interesting, and, and this was actually a, a piece that you wrote. I think prior to last season, kind of as a, a precursor to the season, where you really broke down Whiteside's impact offensively and you said what the next step of his development was and we didn't see it throughout the course of the season was being able to be more of a a pass oriented center you know you 
you kind of tend to either either he's effective on pick and roll situations where he catches the lob or catches it at close proximity to the rim and he's able to finish at a high percentage. Or if you dump it into him, you know you're not getting it back out. His assist totals are you know legendarily low. He's not going to pass the ball effectively. And for the kind of offense that you have now with his team that wants to be, you know, more of a pace to space offense because of Wade's departure, I think it becomes even more essential for Whiteside to be able to develop even just a, a dump pass out into the perimeter where he's able to find an open shooter. You know, you, you're going to have Winslow probably taking more shots from the perimeter. You know, Richardson's going to be taking shots from the perimeter. Whoever else is in the starting lineup, be it Bosch or Dragic, they're going to have more perimeter opportunities without Wade clogging the paint there. So you figure it's going to be more important for Whiteside to be able to just be able to find those passes on the perimeter and find those open shooters so that they can, you know, capitalize on those open wide shots. Absolutely. And I think if he can find a way to take advantage of double teams and especially like double teams, like we saw Charlotte do this in the first round of the playoffs where they just doubled him every time he got the ball, sometimes even tripled him. And they realized mm. that Whiteside has a tendency once he gets the ball, not to let it go. And right. if you do double-team him, just basically he ignores the double-team and just tries to plow his way near to the rim and just put a shot up. And he almost, like, he'll oftentimes look like he's falling towards the rim while putting a shot <laughs> up, and I'll just... Maybe, sometimes it goes in, but most of the time it doesn't. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Goran Dragic, though, because you can make an argument that he's the most important player on this roster, because even if Whiteside doesn't necessarily get better, I think Dragic right. is a guy who has every reason to play better this season than last season because Wade's yeah. gone. It's his backcourt. Given how young the perimeter guys are, he's really the only stable veteran out of that group. So he right. not only has a responsibility to, number one, make up for some of the lost production with Wade leaving, but also to lead these young guys, to take Wade's place in that regard and saying, this is how you run an offense. And we talked about Whiteside. We remember that Wade and Whiteside, Wade was like the Whiteside whisperer, right? Like he always knew how to feed Whiteside the ball. He and Whiteside had, were the first tandem, or the, Wade was the first guy to build a chemistry as far as the pick and roll is concerned with Whiteside. We didn't even see that start to develop until very late into last season with Goran Dragic. And even then it was still inconsistent. So Goran Dragic now has a responsibility to figure this out with Whiteside. So if Whiteside's going to get better... Dragic has to get better in feeding Whiteside. And if all these perimeter guys are going to get better, Dragic has somewhat of a responsibility to take a leadership role in that regard. Not, And that's all plus that's all on top of, okay, now it's time to see an increased production and for him to live up to the two first-round picks that he traded away from him in the first place. Yeah, and, and you kind of took the words out of my mouth. For, for what you said about Whiteside, my feeling had always been that that Dragic was was probably the most important player on this team because he's going to be the one who sets the tempo because he's the one who's going to be able to carry this team more than any other player, I think. I think, I think he's going to be able... His ability to mesh with everybody else, not just as a point guard, but as the probably the chief playmaker. We talked about Justice Winslow when we talked recently about his ceiling and what we envisioned for him, but you know, clearly Winslow's going to have opportunities opportunities now that Wade's gone to be a playmaker and facilitator but that the bulk of that responsibility falls on Dragic's shoulder and it's kind of weird because we do tend to think of him maybe somewhat unfairly regarding the trade that Riley pulled off to acquire him and, and, and the contract size and everything else and it's kind of an unfair lens through which we view Dragic I think overall he's been effective during his limited heat tenure but that that the shadow of 
what it took to acquire him has always kind of put everybody in doubt or, or maybe look somewhat negatively upon his impact here with the team. And, you know, there were struggles there. That's not to change the fact that, you know, there were some problems there early on last season, but we did see him continue to improve. And I think, you know, for all that Bosch does provide, he does have the tendency to kind of stick with the ball. He kind of slows the offense down. He, he kind of positions himself uh, on the elbow and holds it a little bit. And then that takes the offense a little bit longer. It's not the pass-happy offense that we've seen from, say, the Hawks in the past or the Spurs and Warriors and other teams like that. You know, there's there's a little bit more of the, the sticking of the ball there. And, and we want to see something a little bit more fluid. And that's where Dragic is really capable of initiating that. I think Setting he's going to be – right. yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, we saw his speed. He can definitely be explosive. We know in a half-court set he's going to be able to find seams in the defense that he can penetrate and exploit – but we want to see him be more of the, the hockey assist kind of guy where he can feed it to Winslow who will find Richardson open from the wing or something along those lines, kind of create those opportunities. And that's what we really need to see from him. And, and you know, moreover, I think the challenge that Riley issued, Pat Riley issued at the end of the season where he specifically spoke to Dragic and said, look, we need more from him. I think that was a big step. I think that's also a big will be a big factor for Dragic. I think he's going to have to take that to heart and realize he needs to be more consistent, particularly from the perimeter. Look, maybe that's not the strength of his game, although it's something that he can do well. Yeah, Riley's comments were exactly. I want him to be a fifty forty seventy seven guy, right? Or or what? What do you say? Eighty eight guy or something like that? Yeah, right. Something like just short of the fifty forty ninety club. Right, um, and he right. said, you know, I'll give him some leeway on the free throws because I expect him <laughs> to be banging bodies down by the rim um, right. in the paint. And if we go back to his best year of his career in Phoenix, you know, the year before the Suns traded him to Miami, he averaged 20.3 points a game. But his percentages, which is good, and his percentages were 50.5% from the field, 40.8% from three-point range, and he was a 76% free throw shooter. So he needs to get better at free throw shooting, but that's always been on, on Dragic to get better there. He, so he, aver- he had those averages, 50, 40, 77, essentially, and averaged 20 points a game, six, almost six assists a game, and just over three rebounds a game. So if Dragic can kind of hit those numbers again, by the way, he averaged 14 points a game last season. So we're asking him to almost average six more points a game on about one more shot attempt. Two more shots attempt per game. Sorry, I did the math wrong. Two more shots attempt a game. So that's that's, kind of the efficiency that we're looking for, for an increase in efficiency. Well, when they first acquired him, I mean, that was was the the strength of his game was, I think, along with the way they were two of the highest percentage-wise, anyway, they were the best finishers at the rim as far as right. being at the guard position. So that was that was seen to be the strength of that backcourt was two guys who can finish at a high level at the rim, and we just didn't see that from Dragic. And, and you know, we kind of chalked it up to him adjusting to a new team. He hadn't really paid, played with Bosch. He hadn't really played with Whiteside, et cetera. He was also, there were rumors that he came to camp out of shape. He wasn't necessarily ready for the start of the season. Right. And, and we saw, you know, we did see progress from him. Now, you mentioned his free throw rate and everything else. And, you know, and that, aside from percentage and being able to hit those with greater frequency, you know, I think a lot of Heat fans, particularly on Twitter, during the playoffs, you know, looked at, you know, guys in Charlotte, Jeremy Lin and John Wall in yeah. particular, and saw how often they were getting to the line. And then conversely, a guy like Dragic, who has been, you know, we talked about it before, knocked in the face, dislodged teeth, 
gone through a, a number of different hits as he drives to the rim, and he just doesn't seem to get the call. Do you have any theories as to why that might be? Because it's just, I think we're both kind of in shock as to why he doesn't get to the rim more often, and I, I don't know that I necessarily have an answer for it. I don't know how this is going to go over with our listeners, but I think it's because he's a white European dude. I agree. I agree. Okay. It's funny that you bring it up because I was going to, but I mean, I really think, I think, I think the refs, I know, I really do. I think I the agree. refs being primarily American, Anglo or whatever, I mean, I, I don't, whether they're white or black, I don't know that it makes any difference, but I think that they're American and they hear this European guy complaining. They're like, oh, you Europeans are always going to complain. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Right? It's weird I, that we I would both come to this. I mean, it sucks. Like, I'm not saying it's right and I'm laughing because it's mo- mostly awkward and as it is kind of funny, but it. I don't know, man. I think that's that's always been my theory. I don't know. I mean, how the guy gets the guy loses teeth on the basketball court and just keeps with no foul call, no foul, no freaking foul call. Um, is there is there an argument to be made about anybody else? Because we mentioned Dragic, Whiteside, and Bosch. Um, not coincidental that those are the three highest paid players on the roster. Well, I mean, with with money comes great responsibility. You're kind of like the anti Spider Man, but um, I guess with. Um, I guess you would, could also make a, a, a smaller argument for Winslow because, as we talked about when we discussed his ceiling in a recent podcast, you know this could be the year that really sets the tone for whether or not he's going to be a complimentary player or a guy that you can continue to build a team around. You know, uh, Riley made the the probably the wise choice not, not to select Winslow. I mean, not to trade or not to uh, agree to Boston's trade of draft picks. And, you know, or, or you know, to choose right. Winslow instead, and uh, you know, Charlotte obviously was the one that they had dangled that that package to. But you know, Riley chose Winslow, and and you know, it looked like a good choice at the time. And I think he's going to be a great complimentary player, at least during his rookie year. You saw that he was a great fit, particularly because of defense. But now you need to him, you need him to take another step forward, particularly offensively. And I think that's you could argue that if he's if he's able to make a leap, even a small. Leap, particularly to get into that 35% shooting range from the perimeter, all of a sudden you won't have guys lagging off him on defense and, and, and you know, they won't be crowding the paint as much. And, and, you know, it just changes the flow of the offense if he's able to become a more consistent shooter. So that's a good point. Yeah, it's well said. And, and you know, we look at the rosters currently constructed and you, you look at these players and you think of them as they played last year. And I think one of the reasons the Trailblazers were so surprising last hmm. season and we're able to make a playoff run is because guys looked at that roster and like, well, it's Damian Lillard and a bunch of guys, but right. you forget that CJ McCollum was drafted very high in the draft and that he right. had potential that had, that had yet, that he yet to take advantage of or that the, the trailblazers even really tried to uncover because they had Wesley Matthews playing over him for so long and he left for Dallas and now all of a sudden CJ McCollum steps up and he's asked to do more. And Winslow is almost in a certain, in a similar position where, where Luol Deng and Joe Johnson leave, and he's asked to become a starter all of a sudden, can he take that next step, just like C.J. McCollum did, who won most most improved player or was in the running? Okay, and yeah, but, but but I mean, for McCollum, though, and, and just to play devil's advocate, though, I mean, he was always a gifted offensive player, right? I mean, what, that's why they selected him as oh, highly. Absolutely. It, yeah, they didn't take him for his I defense. Think, yeah, and, and I think just in overall, though, when you get... Not necessarily that we're looking for Winslow to win most improved, but his impact on the floor nice. on the defensive end is just as great, could be just as great as McCollum's impact on the offensive end, right? Okay, I so, give you that. So I think the Heat are in almost a similar position where if guys like Winslow and Richardson and Tyler Johnson and all these other young pieces, Derek Williams and, and James Johnson, who they just signed, 
can kind of take another step forward in their development mm-hmm. in any way, or if all of them can take a tiny step forward in their development and just be better than they were last year, that really could dramatically help the team. And I'm not saying that they're going to go make a playoff run or go deep in the playoffs, but it's certainly possible. So I, I agree. I agree. They all I like, I like a lot of guys have a lot of young guys have opportunities. So it should be pretty interesting to see who takes advantage of that. I like the Portland comparison because I think a lot of people thought they were a, a surefire lottery team with the departure of the trade of Robin Lopez. Or no, he left as a free agent, and yes. then and Lamarcus and, and, and yeah, game. everybody took off. So yeah. like, well, oh, Nicholas Batum was traded. So they lost four of their starters and replaced it with a bunch of pieces that were seen as mostly complimentary. And I don't think anybody, particularly in the Western Conference, gave them any chance of, of securing a playoff spot. I think I, I would say even the most diehard Trailblazer fan, fan probably didn't think they were going to make a deep run in the playoffs. And they wound up getting past the first round. Yep. Maybe that same thing can happen to the Heat. All right. Well, this has been Locked On Heat. Thank you for listening. Uh, you find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, wherever you need to, whatever you use to listen to your podcast. Sounds like we're there. So go ahead and listen. Subscribe. It's a daily podcast, so we'll be there every day for you. And that's it. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.